First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 and following. And I want you to listen very carefully because there's a great principle here that too many Christians learn too late in life. And some Christians never learn at all. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye saw, you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men are to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I hope you remember that verse. Make a note of that. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came unto you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world, that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And now turn to Second Corinthians, please, chapter 12, and this time in verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul said, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong." I am become a fool in glory. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind in the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. And I want you to notice with me the latter expression in verse 10 of this chapter. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, in these few minutes, with our visit with us in a very unusual way and, and challenge our hearts, help me to condense what I want to say tonight and just give it to the people in a capsule if possible and let them take it home with them. And may some find the secret tonight of maybe something they've been searching for. I yield myself to thee. I want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll help me. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. There is a verse that says, The Lord's ways are not our ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways above our ways. And there's a verse that says, There's a way that seemeth right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Anytime we think about the answer to any question, we ought to keep in mind that we are fallen creatures, we have a sinful nature, and that by human reasoning we usually do not come to the right answer. For instance, if we were looking for a pastor of a church or some man we wanted to employ in our ministry here, we'd probably look for the a different kind of man altogether than what Paul describes in, in the verses I've read to you. And remember, Paul's not just writing this because it's his own philosophy. He writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and these are God's words. And the Bible said, You see, you're calling, brother, and how that not many mighty, not many noble are called, and so on. He goes on to say, God uses the weak things to confound the mighty. He used the foolish thing to confound the wise. The things that are nothing, he said, to bring to naught the things that are. And yet the average church looking for a pastor goes the opposite direction altogether. How much education does he have? I'm not anti-education. But it's a principle I want you to get tonight. How well is he with the young people and so on? And yet it seems to me as I look through the Bible that God seems to say to us, it takes a nobody to be a somebody. It takes a nothing to be a something. It takes somebody going down to go up. This is what you might call the paradoxes of the Christian life. If a man wants to be exalted, let him humble himself. If a man wants to be abased, let him lift himself up, let him feel proud. God says the way up is down. God said that the way to success is failure. God says uh, to be something, you have to be nothing. When my heart began to hunger and God called me to preach, and I, I want to be the best preacher I could possibly be, I said the way to learn to be the best preacher you can is, is to find all you can out about the men who were a great success in the ministry whose names are household words like Moody, Tory, Spurgeon, the others. Read about them, and, and reading their biographies, if I watch close, I'll pick up the secret of, of their greatness. And so I read many biographies. I have two books in my office. One is entitled The Spiritual Secrets of Famous Christians. I bought that book because of the title. And that'll tell you something about me. I was looking for the spiritual secret of that Christian. What made this Christian what he was? How did he become the great guy that he was? And why did God use him like he did? And so I read the spiritual secrets of famous Christians. I have another book on the fly that has a picture of a heart and a key. And it says the spiritual secrets of Hudson Taylor. And I read that through, and I found something. Hudson Taylor said when God was ready to evangelize China, and by the way, Hudson Taylor was the founder of China in the missions, 
when God was ready to evangelize China, he said he looked around to find somebody who was nothing enough, who was weak enough and helpless enough so that he, God, could get the glory for what was accomplished through the person. If you notice carefully in the reading of these verses, Paul makes it clear more than once here that God must get the glory for everything that's accomplished. And God getting the glory is not a man, pious, standing in the pulpit, and, and in his heart he doesn't really feel God deserves the glory. He feels he does. But in all that the folks may give him even more glory, he says to the congregation, to God be the glory. It's the fellow who really knows in his heart that anything that has been accomplished, God did it. And it's the fellow who really knows in his heart more than anybody else knows in the congregation that God does deserve all the glory for that. It takes a nobody to be a somebody, Paul says. And until you become nothing, you can never be anything. And I think this is illustrated all through the Bible. In case after case, I'll leave you a few of them, then I'll leave you another thought or so. You take the case of Moses, for instance. Moses thought he was a somebody. And in the first 40 years of his ministry, he set out, he's going to get the job done. He grabs a Hebrew, he's going to deliver the Israelites single-handed by himself. Moses is going to be a somebody. And as long as he thought he was a somebody, God said, I can't use you. And so he sent him behind the mountain in the desert to keep his father-in-law's flock for 40 years and 40 years not preaching. 40 years not in the limelight. 40 years nobody hearing him, nobody knowing about him. 40 years in the desert. God teaching him that he was a nobody. And finally out there in that desert, Moses discovered, I'm nobody. I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm just out here keeping my father-in-law's flock. I don't even have a flock of my own. I'm not worth a dime to anybody. And then God spoke out of a burning bush to Moses and said, Now I want you to go down and, and deliver the Israelites, and you'll read the account of that. And seven times Moses said, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Seven times he said, I can't. And God said, Now then... Now, I can use you the way you want to be used the first 40 years. But it wasn't until Moses got to that that God got a hold of Moses and said, Now you're a nobody. I'll make a somebody out of you. And Moses went down and delivered the children of Israel out of bondage. Take the Israelites themselves. It was when they saw they were nothing. And they cried out, We're slaves. We're making bricks and having to gather our own straw in order to make the mortar and the bricks, and we're nobody, we're slaves. And when they became a nobody, God uh, delivered them. Take Jacob the schemer. Boy, he was tricky. His name means tricky. And he thought he'd trick his brother out of the birthright. He did. And he was slick. Man, did he ever become wealthy over there, working for his father-in-law, and the cattle began to reproduce, and, and his ones marked like he determined. Uh, the ones he chose, they began to multiply and multiply, and he thought he was a somebody. Man, I'm rich. 
And when he started back to meet Esau, and we heard uh, Brother Wellington mention this last Sunday night just a little, he was actually wrestled with that angel. And I have an idea that when Jacob got in trouble, he ran. You see, he ran from Esau. Esau, I'll kill him. He took off. He ran. I'm somebody. I can get out of the way. I got two strong legs. Here I go. And he ran from Esau. But that night when he wrestled with the angel, the Lord, he said, I wrestle with the Lord. I don't know where he was wrestling with the Lord. The Lord was wrestling to him. I, I'm not sure. Dr. Ross said he was wrestling with the Lord and said, I won't let you go till you bless me. But I don't think he wanted to be blessed too much until after he got his hip knocked out of joint. And then suddenly he realized how weak and helpless he was. And he said, now you can't leave me. Well, I'm at the mercy of Esau now. I can't even walk. One hip's out of joint. I've I got to have you now. Don't leave me now. i got to have you now. You can't leave me alone. I'm, I'm a nobody. When he became a nobody, God said, all right, now then, I'll make you somebody. And then take Paul. Great man he was, very educated man. Paul said to the church at Corinth, I thank God that I speak with tongues or languages more than y'all. I can speak in more language than all of you put together. You show off in the church with the little, little, little knowledge you have, but I, I can speak in more languages than all of you, and I'm not showing off, he said. I'm speaking my words of understanding that other men may be taught also. A very educated man Paul was, and yet... It was when Paul saw he was nothing that God used him. Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. And then he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He said, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. God said, All right, I'll let you write. I'll let you write over half the New Testament. I'll let you be a somebody. And he wrote 14 New Testament books. If you give him the book of Hebrews, and I do. And if you don't, dis if you don't want to agree with me, you can go ahead and be wrong if you want to. And you take Gideon. And God wanted somebody to deliver his people. He looked for somebody, and he found Gideon. Come here, Gideon. And Gideon was so, he was such an introvert, he was hiding, ashamed, backward, timid. And God called him. He said, well, not me. He said, I'm the least in my father's household. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not even the best kid in the house, and we're not the best family in town, but I'm the worst one in the whole family. I, well, God, I, I'm a nobody. I, I'm nothing. God said, all right, I knew you. Come on. Take uh, the centurion. Whenever his uh, boy was sick and he sent for the Lord and the Lord came and he said, oh, uh -uh. He said, don't come under my roof. I'm not worthy of you to come under my roof. You just speak the word. I said, I'm a nobody. Say what you will. The only people God can use are nobodies. You read the biographies of great men, and not one of them felt they were great. One of the things that made George Mueller the maddest was when somebody talked about his great faith, and George Mueller immediately said, Well, wait a minute, I don't have any great faith. I'm a nobody. Nothing. And God does that in order that God himself may get the glory. I was just thinking. In the matter of our own righteousness... Nobody really becomes righteous in the sight of God until he sees how unrighteous he is. The fellow who thinks, well, now I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't run with those who do. And the fellow who thinks, well, I keep the Ten Commandments and I live right. You'd be surprised how God looks at that fellow. 
That's the way the Pharisees did. And he said, you're whited, you're whited sepulchers. On the outside you appear indeed clean and spotless to men, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. You stink. And Paul said of his own people in Romans chapter 10, My brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They're going about to establish their own righteousness. I'm righteous. I'm good. And you know it's true yourself. You never really became righteous until you felt you was the dirtiest, rottenest, stinkingest fellow that ever lived. And then God said, okay, since you're a nobody, you say, I'm unrighteous, you're I'm going to give you some righteousness now. I'm going to give you the very righteousness of God. But that only belongs to those who are nobodies. Paul said, standing and clothed, in, not in my own righteousness, but his. Take them out of salvation. You know who gets saved? The fellow who thinks he can't get saved. I've dealt with a lot of sinners. I had a man come to my house at 2 o'clock in the morning. And we knelt in the living room, and, and he got on his knees, and he said, I want to be saved. I showed him how to be saved. He started praying, his own prayer. He prayed like this, dear God. And he started crying. He said, I don't even know how to ask you, Lord. I don't, first of all, he said, I don't even have a right to even be talking to you. Secondly, Lord, he said, I sure don't have a right to ask you to save me. If anybody ought to go to hell, I ought to go to hell. I'm cussed and drank. Been mean to my wife. I, I want to ask you to save me, Lord, but I, I can't even ask you. I'm so sorry. It wasn't long before he was saved. Because that's people God can save. Take them out of prayer. You know, we have a tendency to say, well, boy, God answered prayer. He must have had a lot of faith. I'm going to tell you something I've never told before. The greatest answers to prayer I ever had was when I had no faith and when I didn't expect an answer and didn't even want an answer. When we had to have the money to close that high school, I sat in my office on a... On an afternoon when everybody had left the office, a whole staff had gone, we had paid $6,000 down earnest money on that high school property. And you know we had just raised money to build a park, to pay this parking lot down here. And we had some other things come up. Some houses came for sale, and the church board to take some of the money and, and buy the equity in some houses for sale. We depleted that, and I'd asked for so much money. I, I was ashamed to come back and tell the church we don't have the money to buy the high school. And I sat in my office, and I didn't expect God to do anything. As a matter of fact, I just, I just sat there and looked out the window and I said, Well, Lord, I'm in a mess. I said, I paid $6,000 down on the high school property. We've got to have $34,000 for closing, and I don't know where we're going to get it. And I didn't even ask him for it. And I didn't expect him to give it to me. I fully expected to tell you people we can't buy the high school. And I looked out the window and I said, It's going to make me look bad. And it's going to make you look bad. Because I told them you told me to do it. And they believed me. Now, I don't know what we're going to do, Lord, but I said one thing. If I don't have $34,000 in the next 10 days, we're going to lose the $6,000 we paid down in earnest money. 
in less than 15 minutes' time, $52,000 walked through my door. I didn't have any faith. I didn't say, oh, God, please, you got to do it. I'm going to fast three days. Oh, i got to have it. I said, I don't have faith for it. I don't believe you'll do it. But if you don't do it, and God said, okay, but boy, I, I, I think I learned something. It's when I thought I had no faith that I had the most faith. Did you have that experience at all in your life? You trace back the greatest answers of prayer you ever had, and, and you didn't want to admit it because you want to take credit for being a good, good prayer and have a lot of faith. But in most cases, it was when you came to the end of yourself completely and you thought everything was gone. It sunk. We're going under. This is it. Jim Olson's been out of job how long? Two months. Now, I'm not going to ask you to say amen, but I, I wouldn't doubt a bit that that you hadn't already begun to think this is it. Two months. We love Forest Hills Baptist Church, and we want to stay here, but it, it looks like you're not going to give us a job, and we, we thought we had faith, but we just don't have enough faith, and it's, Lord, I, I don't know how we're going to do this. It looks like it. And God said, all right, put you in touch with so-and-so. And it's when you really, your faith begin to give out. When you started off, it was big faith. Lord's going to do it. Amen. Lord's going to do it. Amen. And weeks went by, and the Lord didn't do it anymore. <laughs> and you quit saying, Lord's going to do it, and said, maybe it's not the Lord's will. Maybe he's trying to tell us something. And then God said, I'm going to do it. Why? Because you became a nobody, and I'll make you a somebody. Get out now. <laughs> any victory I've ever had. Listen, we bought property to build this church on. On North Dakota Road, the other side of the radio station, we paid earnest money. To, I've told you this, so let me tell it again. I want to hear it again. <laughs> Hallelujah. And we paid earnest money. We was going to buy this property. And a man of our church got off from work. We was paying him the same salary he made at his job. He had a leave without pay, he called it. And he was going to supervise the building of this church. And we went up to close out the deal, and I was so happy. Young preacher, oh boy, been over on that basement building on the outside toilets, and now we're fixing to get a new building with inside restrooms and real commodes <laughs> and water fountains. Woo! And maybe even get some carpets on the floor. We had linoleums down. <laughs> you remember that, don't you? <laughs> and I went to the lawyer's title company, and I put on the best suit I had, one from Penny's, $29.95. And I went in, the lawyer's title, and I was up in there. Oh, boy, God's given us some property. And I was bragging about it. Hallelujah! God's given us some property. Amen! And the fellow checked the titles out and said, Well, a man's got an option against this property. So we better call him, make sure he's not going to exercise his option, and we'll go ahead and have the closing bill. Might have just a minute or two making a phone call. I'm so-and-so from lawyer's title. Forest Baptist Church of DeKalb Incorporated is fixing to buy a piece of property so-and-so on North Cater Road, but we find here and check in the titles you have an option. And uh, we just want to make sure that you're not going to exercise your option, and it'll be necessary for you to sign some sort of a quit-claim deed or something. The man said, well, I sure we exercise my option. So I said, well, they, they are, already have uh, plans to build, already have the money raised, and fellas off from work. And I don't care if fellas said, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, off, I'm buying that property. He said, well, couldn't you let them have enough to build a church on? No, he said, I want every inch of it. 
fellow turned and looked at me and said, a man's going to buy the property. Boy, I said, I went in, God give us a property. Oh boy, if God answered prayer, he's give us property on North Dakota Road, right out on a North Dakota Road. Think of it, Marcia Baptist Church, North Dakota Road. That's a big road in Atlanta. Not on Alcove Drive and Scottsdale, but North Dakota Road in Decatur. Next to Bob Jones University radio station. Boy, I went out of that. I was sad and mad. And I said, God, that's not right. A man's off from work. We got the money raised. We can't get the property. That's no way to do it. And you know I'm trying to be a good preacher. And I'm trying to win souls and build a soul winning church. And you treat me like that. That's not right. Then I got to thinking. Well, you'd be out of place over there anyway. Well, you're a country preacher. It'd be like putting whipped cream on an onion to put you over there. <laughs> you need to be on alcohol driving Scottsdale. That suits you better. Not Dr. Curtis Hudson, Pastor Forest Hill Baptist Church on North Druid Hills Road or North Decatur Road, but just Brother Curtis, <laughs> Pastor of Scottsdale Baptist Church on Alcove Drive. That's better. And then I said, well... I really don't deserve to be the pastor, Lord. If the church knew as much about me as I know, they'd vote me out. And my wife agrees with me. If they knew why I crossed my mind sometimes, they wouldn't have me as their pastor. And I've never been to Bible college and seminary. What made me think I ought to have a church over here? My ambitions just exceeded my abilities, Lord. I was going too fast. I don't really deserve to be over there. I'm where I ought to be, and I'll go back there and be happy. Oh, boy, he said, I got a piece of property for you. That's what I've been waiting for. You thought you were somebody. And now, since you know you're nobody, I'll give you a better piece of property. Not on North Decatur Road, but on North Druid Hills Road. And I'll run the Stone Mountain Freeway right by where everybody can sit every time they go to Stone Mountain Decatur. And I'll put you up on a hill instead of that valley down there next to that creek with the mosquitoes. Not that, Lord. I don't deserve to be that. Four acres on right here on Valleybrook Road. And, I mean, right, right, right here in front of everything. Right here, four blocks from a shopping center, Lord. I never dreamed it. Now, we don't deserve that. Hey, so that's what I want you to have. You know what I'm good mind to do. Woo! Good mind to shout. You have to be a nobody before you can be a somebody. Always works like that. The matter of prayer. Romans 8, 26 says... Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groans that cannot be uttered. And when I got to where I couldn't even word my prayers, laid flat on my stomach and just groaned. 
He said, oh God, I don't know how to ask for it, I won't. I'm so burdened, I can't even pray. I can't even talk. When the Holy Spirit said, okay, I'll tell you what to do. You just lay there and groan and, and I'll make this petition for you. God do so and so for Curtis. That's when I got prayer answered. When I thought I had no faith, that I found I had some faith. When I didn't expect an answer to prayer, when I got it. I know that's contradictory. I know it doesn't go along with this regular preaching, <laughs> you know. But that's the way it is. Paul said, when I'm weak, then am I strong. Therefore will I glow in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's when God can use me, so. Faith. The matter of salvation. When a fellow gets to the bottom of the barrel, the end of the rope, that's it. That's all. I'm going to tell you something. And I, I say this was, and I, I'm a little nervous to say it. For fear that we may say it and not mean it. But the seek of the blessings of God upon this church is because we knew we couldn't do it. Everything we've ever done is, is we didn't think we could do it. Big thing, stepping out. You can't do that. You can't do the other. I close this little story. James McKinney was riding a horse in Canada. Great spiritual man. He got off his horse to rest a while and walked away from the horse. And a big bear got between he and the horse. And James... McKinney said, I felt utterly helpless. He said, I knew that I couldn't do anything. I didn't have a gun, nothing. As far as I was concerned, this was the end. I was utterly helpless. And James McKinney said, I just closed my eyes and said, Oh, God, I am helpless. If you don't do something, I'll be dead in a minute or two. I am utterly helpless. And James McKinney said, somehow, miraculously, he found himself on that horse and riding away to safety. He said, a few nights later, I was in a motel room, trying to go to sleep. It was hot and no air conditioning. And a mosquito came buzzing by. And so I reached up and tried to slap him. About the time I get my eyes closed, start to go to sleep, he'd come back again. So I'd just about go to sleep, and mosquito would come back. So he said, all night long, I fought with that mosquito. I didn't sleep a week. Early the next morning, he said, the mosquito flew off with a victory. He said, when I faced that bear, I knew I was helpless. But I thought I could take care of the mosquito myself. And isn't that the whole thing? When my child had cancer, I knew I was helpless, and I really put it in God's hands, and I became a nobody, and I'm helpless. But when I got ready to get married, I thought I could do it all myself. And that's why you're in the mess you're in tonight. No, you ought to, you ought to become a nobody when it comes to fighting mosquitoes, just like you when it comes to fighting bears. 
God knows I was afraid around here. I almost quit this place about a year ago. And would have quit if I could have quit. Wanted to quit. Tried to quit. I actually thought it's too much for me. It's too big. Why, listen, I know where I came from. <laughs> listen, I, I'm a country boy. And I'm a mailman. I used to carry mail on a mail ride. City 41, Lord. <laughs> and then sometimes I put the mail in the wrong box. And now, Lord, you, I'm the pastor of the Forest Hill Baptist Church, and, and it's getting frightening, frightening. My reputation has got ahead of me. Folks think I'm more than, than what I am away from here. You know me, but other folks think they think we're one of the great churches in America. And they talk about Forest Hill Baptist Church, great, great church in America. And I said, Lord, it's, it's too much. It's too big. I'm going to resign and go into evangelism. I tried to. I said, I can't keep teaching that old dumb Bible class. Lord, I mean, good night. They hear me over and over and over. They're getting tired of hearing me. And I, I, we'd have to make some other arrangements. And when I got as low as a snake's belt buckle and looked up to the bottom, God said, all right, that's where I wanted you. Right there. 